when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Thank you so much for that, Catherine. Well, good evening, one and all. It is very, very good to be back. I feel like I've been gone for a lot longer than what I really have. I've missed three weeks with you. And I have to tell you, I'm really excited to be back. And I think the reason is I'm, I see God doing a lot of really good stuff amongst us. Amen. And I think the thing is we have to shift our focus. We have to start focusing on those things which God is doing. And we've got to start building each other up and encouraging each other in the great work that God is doing in this place. Because he is doing not just good work, he's doing incredibly good work. And I can see the foundations being laid right across this church for the beginnings of even more. And I, I hope that in short order, we have to actually start planning um, on building a church, not because I like big buildings, but because we can no longer contain the people within this building. That's what I'd love to see. I'd like to see us encouraging people to push out into our community more and more. And I think there's going to be things put in place for that. And I'm excited for that. And uh, seeing Kids Club and Kids Church and things like that growing as well. Our youth groups overflowing because of the way, the foundations that have been laid there. That's what I hope we see. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a huge chunk of scripture. It is way more than what has been read out. And uh, when I came back and I saw this on Wednesday morning, I went, oh, yeah. So uh, we're just going to be doing an overview again tonight. We're not going to touch on this in any depth. So I really want to encourage you to go home and read the extra scripture. But tonight, keep your scriptures open. Stay open at Mark 7 and we'll go right through to 8.30. I want you to keep the, that open so you can actually follow me through. And uh, hopefully uh, at, by the end of the evening, um, you will obtain something which will be very encouraging to you. Let's just pause and pray. 
Father God, you are a good, good God. And I know that, Lord. I just know how much you mean to me. I know how much you've intervened in my life. I know how much you've done. And Lord, I just pray that we'll just catch a glimpse of you tonight. The Lord, we will be submitted fully to you and your will and that we'll have our ears open and soft hearts, Lord to hear what you have to say to us through your word. Reveal the truth of that word to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we think about the passage of scripture that's just been read out to us this evening, I want you to think about what's come just prior to this. And I have to be honest, I don't know what was preached prior to this. So I'm hoping that they did actually cover these things. And it doesn't matter if they didn't. But what has just happened? Jesus has fed 5,000 people. He took five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, for a man, that was a snack in the day. And he took those loaves and fish and he multiplied them. He made something out of nothing, really. And he fed 5,000 people. I haven't seen anyone do that myself. So that's, that's a pretty big thing. And then on top of that, he walks on water. The locals know that Jesus' disciples went off the boat and crossed across the lake. And yet Jesus appears with them on the other side. And the disciples know that Jesus walked on water. And the rest of them are like, well, something happened. We don't know what happened, but somehow Jesus got from here to there. And again, we have this incredible miracle that has happened. And the crowds came and they gathered there again. And, and the thing is, we have these other guys in the background. They're always hovering there. They're always looking at Jesus. And these are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. And the first thing I want to talk about is defiling religion. The religious leaders of those day were the ones that were supposed to be waiting for the promised Messiah and looking forward to that. And they were responsible for teaching the people what it was they should be looking for. And above all else, they should have been excited about what they saw in Jesus. They should have been able to go to the scriptures and say, this guy is doing everything that has been prophesied about the coming Messiah. The very things that they teach pointed to Jesus, but their hearts were far from God. Far from God. They come to Jesus and they themselves have witnessed many of the things that Jesus have done. In fact, they see the crowds flocking to Jesus because of the way Jesus speaks and they get jealous. And they come to Jesus knowing everything that he's done and they ask him a question. And it was a really heavy question when you consider what was going on. How come your disciples don't wash their hands? Why are you laughing? It's pretty serious, isn't it? And, you know, just think about this situation. How obscene is this? And it's a behavior that is repeated again and again. And when we think about Jesus' interaction with these guys, it seems a little bit harsh the way that he responds to them. But we must remember that Jesus knows the hearts of men. And so he knows what's going on behind this. He knows what they're thinking. And he knows more about it than anyone else. And these religious leaders are just coming to him, asking this ridiculous question in the midst of these incredible miracles that he's performing. And Jesus rebukes them. And these are men who have the appearance of being holy, of being followers of God, but they're not. It's not true. They honour God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Was prayed about this, was talked about this. They've got a head knowledge, but they don't have a heart knowledge. God always wanted relationship with us. And these guys missed the boat. 
They just didn't get it. They say or confess the right things, but they do not live by what they say. And ultimately, their actions reflect what is in their hearts. These leaders accept and enforce man-made rules, man-made beliefs, man-made traditions, even at the cost of God's word, even at the cost of God's commandments. And they do this to advance their own agendas. And in so doing, they ignore, reject, and fall into disobedience of the very clear teachings of God. And after rebuking them, Jesus goes on to answer their question in Mark 7, 7, 14 to 23. He addresses not only these leaders, but all the people that are there. He tells them that there's nothing outside of the body that can defile us. And when he's alone with his disciples, he said, what is it you don't understand? You know, if dirt goes into your mouth, if something bad goes into your mouth, it goes into your stomach and is passed out. It is not a hard issue. It is not something that can actually affect who you really are. If you eat with dirty hands, it passes out of you and it doesn't defile your hearts. All these kings, things sorry, come from within a person, these things. And this is what defiles us. And we're not going to break these down and discuss them because we do have a lot of ground to cover. But this is so relevant to us as a people of God. We have to be careful that what we do, the governing documents that we use, do not even come close to the authority of God's word. God's word must be first in all things. Nothing can take its place. It's the same with the traditions of our church, the things that we always do. And it's a very dangerous phrase to have if someone wants to bring change and say, well, we've always done it that way. Of course, if it's the sacraments and things like that, We need to continue to do those things. But if we're just doing it for tradition's sake, do we need to be doing it? And again, these things can't take precedence over obeying God's word. We are called first and foremost to make disciples of men. And isn't it exciting? I I, I didn't know that about Samaritan's person, the, the boxers. I didn't know that they had that discipleship course. How exciting is that? 12 weeks, man, I'm so excited. I'm just so pleased that we're involved in that. And it's going to transform lives. That's what we need to be doing, people. We need to be making disciples. And so everything that we do should be done with that plan and purpose in place. How does this draw people closer to God? How does this allow people to know Jesus more? How does this train the saints up in what they should be doing and how they should be moving closer to God? Anything that we do that we don't seriously assess with that criteria in mind, we should seriously consider no longer doing. We must be about the things of God. Then there's us as individuals. As Jesus has indicated, the true measure of a man or woman is not what they eat or drink or whatever. It's about what comes out of your mouth. How your faith is outworked in the everyday. And you know, I, I've been involved in churches for a long, long time. I haven't been seriously committed for all those times. I suppose I've been in churches for 50 years. Um, I've been involved in leadership positions for 
35 of those years. And it always surprises me where people come up and they want to blame someone else for what's happening in the church. There's something that's, that's not happening in the church that they believe should be happening and that's someone else's fault. They should have done that. They should have stepped up. When in reality, God lays upon our hearts the things that we should be doing. And if, if you ever come to me, and this has happened in this church, someone has come to me and said, you should do this. It's like, are you sure God's not laying that on your heart and that you should do that? I'm willing to encourage you. I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to support you. But I think that's something you can do. Why don't you step out in faith and do that? And seriously, that's the attitude that we should have. We shouldn't be pointing the figures at others and saying, you are failing. Oh, oh, oh you know, if we think they are Come alongside him. Don't point the finger at him. Say, how can I help you achieve what I believe God wants to do in your life? If, if we have leaders that we have trouble with, come alongside them and pray for them. If we have people who aren't serving in the church, find out what puts a smile on their face and see if you can somehow use that within the church. Jesus gives each and every one of us passion to serve in some way. We are given passion to worship him. There's a place for each and every person in this church. You are not here by mistake. God wants to use you for his purpose and his glory. And I have to get that through my head, that everyone sitting here this evening has a purpose for being here. And I want to see each one of you serving. Do one thing and do it well. If we all do that, man, we're going to turn this place around. We're going to have an incredible church. Jesus didn't come with a primary purpose to, to change the external behaviour of men. He came to change us internally. He came to change us from the inside out. These religious leaders didn't recognise that Jesus was speaking to them. He came in order to change men's and women's hearts to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And he does that. He changes hearts and he changes our standing before God. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are new creation. And those things that are listed in Mark are no longer part of our lives. We should have nothing to do with them. We should be striving towards removing any of that attitude from us. Jesus came to change our hearts. Has that happened to you? It's interesting, was said something similar. Has that happened to you? And the thing is, we need to know Jesus. Je knowing Jesus is truly transformational. The religious leaders obviously didn't get it. And we come to a part of this account where we see someone who does know Jesus. And there is no account of that. There's no account, sorry, that explains how this woman's faith was established. But we have her story here in Mark. And this is an incredible story of faith. The faith of this woman who by Jewish standards had no right to be a part of the people of God. This woman, um, was, her faith was in such huge contrast to that of the Jewish leaders. She is a Syrophoenician. Uh, most likely, she came from the area of Tyre and Sidon, around that area. She was of Canaanite descent. What do we know about the Canaanites? They were the ones who were pushed out of the land as Israel came in. They were given options, but most of them denied that. And so they were in conflict with God's people. And so this woman rightfully knows the Jews think that she is outside of God's plan. 
That's how she, she would be treated. And when Jesus addresses her, he uses the common language of the day. It seems like Jesus has been disrespectful. But again, think about Jesus. He knows people's heart and he knows that this is how these people are used to being addressed by the Jews. And so Jesus uses those words for a play on this woman. And it's just a beautiful thing when you hold it in context. She comes to Jesus and he already knows her faith. He already knows the outcome. And she's not trained in the things of God. She doesn't know the scriptures. But something's happened, and we don't know what that is. Something has happened. And when Jesus tells her that his message is for Israel first, she doesn't deny that. That's, that's what's so beautiful here. Jesus says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she says, yes, Lord, do that. I agree. They have the right to that. But even the dogs get the crumbs. Even the dogs get the crumbs. She seems to understand that when the children of Israel have had their fill, there's going to be little left over. There's going to be enough for the dogs. And you've seen it depicted many times, haven't you? We, we see memes and things like that where there's a child sitting on, at the table and under the table's the dog and there's always food being passed to the dog. Uh, we experience ourselves, what possibly happened with my wife before my kids. My wife was so anti-dog and suddenly they were being fed things. My mother-in-law, my goodness, She's so anti-dog at one stage and now she cooks special meals for the dogs. I can't believe it. They get, eat better than me sometimes, but there you go. But that's the attitude of this woman. She's saying, even with the dogs, they receive the crumbs. They receive the little. They receive the extra. And she says to Jesus, I understand that this great and incredible blessing is for Israel. I understand that that is how this is going to work. I know you're bringing that to them, Lord. Give them that incredible mercy. But for me, just give me this one thing, this one little crumb. I don't expect to take everything from Israel. I don't expect you to give me everything that they have. But give me this one small mercy. Heal my daughter. Let that crumb come. She knows Jesus. She seems to know who he is and why he is here. And she is miles ahead of the religious leaders of the day. The people who should have known who Jesus was. She cannot and will not trust her own abilities. In order to receive that which she so desperately needs... She trusts and relies totally on Jesus Christ, his grace, his mercy, his power, his forgiveness, and his healing power. And she receives for her daughter exactly what she seeks, and that's deliverance. Deliverance for a daughter from this demon. And I'm not sure what you think when you read the word deliverance, but in this context, it's the action of being rescued or set free. And all through scripture, we see instances of people being delivered. And here we see it many times. And as I've said, this woman's daughter is delivered from a demon. And Jesus does that from a distance. He doesn't actually have to be present for that. He's present with her, but her daughter's a long way off. And she's delivered from that. Then we have the account of this deaf man. And Jesus heals him by sticking his fingers in the man's ears and spitting on his tongue. 
Sounds pretty gross, doesn't it? Do you think the man minds? I don't either. I don't know why Jesus healed him that way. He can hear and speak now. I don't think he really cares that Jesus spat on him, apparently. I'm losing myself. And the Jesus and his disciples have 4,000 men who've been following Jesus for a few days. And Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they have nothing to eat. He doesn't want to send them away hungry. And that's all he says. And the disciples have seen that Jesus fed 5,000. They've seen him walk on the water. They've seen him cast a demon out from this woman's daughter. And they've seen him heal the deaf and dumb man. And they stand there dumbstruck. They take ownership of the problem. How are we to deal with this, Lord? What are we to do? How can we feed these people? They want to solve the problem. It's like they've forgotten everything they've seen, everything that Jesus has done. <laughs> it seems they've forgotten who is standing in their midst. There's this task before them, huge by our standards, and they don't even think of asking Jesus for help or to ask him what they're going to do, what he is going to do. We're not like that, eh? No, no. We, any time a problem arises, we go straight to Jesus, so we won't go any further with that. There's a bit of that in all of us, isn't there? We either think God is not interested in what we're going through or the task is too big and it's just crazy to expect that something will happen, so our faith is too small. But you know what? It has never been about us, never has been, never will be. It has always been about Jesus. If we want to see him move, if we want to see him feed the 4,000 again, if we want to see great and mighty works, we need to trust him. We need to believe he wants to be involved in our life and we need to include him in our life. We need to go to him in prayer with all the problems that we have. And guys, when we do that, we see him answer in mighty and powerful ways. Elena and I sometimes have people say, tell us about some of the things God's done. And we start talking and we're not sure where we should stop. Because as we remember, we remember more and more things that God has done. And he's done some incredible things in our lives. Some things that only he could have done. We're living in this incredible house. God gave that to us. We have no doubt it was an answer to prayer. And Becky brought me a list that we got together with our kids when we were praying for that house. And she gave me the list. Everything on that list was met in that house and more. That's the God we serve. And you know what? It didn't come when I wanted that house. It didn't come when I thought I should have it. But it came at the right time. And everything on that list was checked off. That is the God we serve. And so we're like that. We need to take him at his word, literally, and follow all that he teaches us to do. When we do, he will do great things. And Jesus fed the 4,000. What an incredible miracle. But the Pharisees seize upon that. It's a miracle that brought benefit to the multitudes. It was materialistic. 
And so they saw it as an earthly sign. So if this earthly sign is one, then their opinion is that it could have been performed by the God of the world. It could have been performed by Satan. And so an accusation like this, they've laid at Jesus' feet before. And so Jesus denies their request for a miracle because he knows their hearts. He knows what they're trying to do. And they continually approach Jesus with the attitude that he is evil. And they come with that preconceived attitude. And when they come with preconceived attitudes, they are blind to the good that Jesus does. Because all they want is evidence to convict him. That's what they're looking for. It's an attitude that continues today. So many look on at what others are doing in the service of Christ and rather than celebrating, they look for evidence to drag them down. They miss the blessing that could be theirs. And that's sad. That is so very sad. And some verge on blaspheming the work of Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. And they need to be delivered from that destructive attitude. Jesus warns his disciples about the Pharisees. I'm behind, aren't I? Jesus warns his disciples about the Pharisees and people with that attitude, a similar attitude. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And he's telling them not to be like them. He's telling them to not live as the Pharisees live. These Pharisees focused on their outward appearance, on what people thought of them. And they thought they were quite pious and things like that. And they did what they did to appear holy before people. And they created a whole heap of rules for people to follow. And they weren't beneficial to faith. They weren't beneficial to the people. And they were more concerned about what people thought of them than the inward transformation that God truly desires in each and every man. And then we have a final miracle in this passage. And this is, a, this is an interesting miracle. We don't see anywhere else where Jesus actually heals someone in stages. And uh, I find this very interesting because... I have no doubt that if Jesus wanted to heal this man, he could have just said, be healed. In fact, he could have just stood there and looked at the guy and he would have been healed. In fact, Jesus could have been anywhere he wanted to be and healed this guy. So why did he heal this man this way? I don't know. I have no idea. But I think everything that is contained in God's word is contained there for us. There is a lesson for us in the midst of that. And so I think that it's done this way so Jesus showed that there's no formula to heal. There's no special plan. There's no special way of doing things. Every situation is different. So when we are asked to heal someone, we need to come before God first and foremost. We need to ask him for his wisdom and guidance in how to pray for this person. And then we pray with expectation that God's going to do a mighty work. And if that person doesn't get up and walk out of here, unless we're prompted to pray for him again, we let them go. Because the healing is ultimately up to God. It is not our responsibility to make sure a person who comes in in a wheelchair here and asks me for them to be healed, that they get up and walk out. That is not my responsibility. But I must pray in faith that that person could. I must pray in faith believing that Jesus can heal him. But the rest is up to him. 
And the interesting thing with this case is that Jesus takes him out of the village. Now, this is a village that was under persecution. This is a village that was not following God. And so he takes him out of the village and he heals him in the way that he does. And he says, don't go back into the village. He was delivering him from the physical ailments that he has, but he was also delivering him from the evil of this village. And who knows, perhaps there was sin that he was caught up in that village. I don't know. But there's something unique about what happened here. And then Jesus also may have done that in going out of the village in order to withdraw from the crowds. He does that regularly. And he does that so that they will not praise him for the miracle. And I think sometimes we get caught up in that ourselves. We have a habit and a tendency in seeking miracles instead of the miracle giver. And we elevate the spectacular instead of elevating Jesus. This man, like all of us, needed to have his eyes open to the things of Christ. Could you imagine what it was like for this guy to open his eyes when he finally saw clearly and the first thing he saw was his saviour? Man, we're all going to do that one day. We're going to die. We're going to open our eyes and he's going to be there. It's going to be mind-blowing. Each of us need to see Jesus for who he really is. I wonder what you think when I say the name Jesus. I wonder what you think when you think of him. I wonder what you think when you're talking about him to others. His very name is Jesus Christ sets him aside as the anointed or chosen one. It is him and him alone. There is no other like Jesus. And we have this final account in the passage that we're looking at at this evening. And Jesus travels to Caesarea Philippi. And at that time, it's a terrible place. It's a place of pagan worship. It's a place of prostitution. It's a place of human sacrifice. I've actually stood there. And there's a cave in Caesarea Philippi where water used to flow out of. And there was a temple in front of that cave. And the people of Caesarea Philippi used to take the virgin daughters up above the cave on the cliff faces. And they'd throw them down into the water. And if they hit the water and there was blood, well, then the gods didn't accept that sacrifice. So they'd go and get another girl. And they'd keep doing that until there was no blood. Could you imagine the fear that the young women of that city lived in? Could you imagine the fear of those parents who dearly loved their children, knowing that there could be a knock on the door to take their daughter to be offered to these gods? Gods in little g's. This temple of Pan there, it's an evil place. And Jesus walks in to this place And there's no other reason for him to be there. And and he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And and we have this account where some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. Basically, Jesus is a good bloke. And Jesus says to his disciples, but you, who do you say that I am? And we don't know if there's any other answers. But Peter says, you are the Christ. 
This is where Peter finally gets it. Now, when I say he finally gets it, something is revealed to him that he hasn't had before. This is something that God reveals to him. And I don't think he got it 100%. I don't think he really understood the declaration that he was actually making at this time. But he says, you are the Christ. And Peter is saying that he is the long-awaited Messiah. You're the one that we've been looking for. The one that God said will come and redeem his people. And it's on this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, that the church will be established as it says in Matthew 16 of the same account. What's this mean for us? When we think about the Pharisees, these Pharisees started out with good intentions. These were the guys who wanted Israel to return to the very books of God. They wanted Israel to return to the teachings that their forefathers made. They started out with good intentions. They wanted to worship God as their ancestors had. But somewhere along the way, they got lost. Their focus became more about keeping laws, and then they had those laws that contradicted God's actual teachings. And rather than following God and having a relationship with him, it became more about that. Now think about who the Pharisees became. These were the guys who stood on street corners to be heard for their many words. I better cut this short, eh? But there's people like that today, isn't there? They just want to be heard for their many words. Is what they're saying beneficial to the people of God? Is what they're saying beneficial to us as a people? There are people like the Pharisees today. Think about how you live. I need to think about how I live. Is my life, is your life honouring God? Do we live in accordance with Scripture? And not just the bits that suit us, but all of it. Think about your attitude towards others. The Pharisees, when they looked upon what Jesus was doing, disregarded all the good things that was happening. When you look upon others who are working for Jesus, doing great things for him, is your first thought to praise God? Is your first thought to elevate them? Is your first thought to encourage them? Or are you jealous? We need to be celebrating the good things that God is doing everywhere, every time, all the time. These guys were too focused on irrelevant details and they missed the greatest event that has ever happened in our history. Are we like them? Are we missing the good things that are happening around us because we're too focused on irrelevant details? where we have the appearance of being holy and yet the way we speak to others, the things that we are concerned about, reveal our true nature and attitude. The things that defiled religion then, defile the church today. And our witness, our being an ambassador for Christ is damaged because people look on. People pay attention. Are our thoughts pure? Do we desire the best for others? Do we pray for each other? And when it comes to SDBC, are we willing to roll up our sleeves and be part of the work here for God's glory? 
Jesus died for his church. He died for SDBC. And when you speak against this church, you're speaking against the bride of Christ. I don't want to be in that situation. I want to be one who beautifies Christ's bride for him. I want to be one who prepares Christ's bride for him. And we're all called to do the same thing. You can throw mud if you want, but I personally wouldn't want to be held accountable for that. Let's do all we can with God's help to live in such a way that we build the church up, we encourage each other, and that the words from our mouth bring honour and glory to him and his people and his bride. The second thing is, do we know Christ? I want you to think about the Seraphonician woman. She was someone who by man's standards had no right to be included in God's great plan. But that was man's story. That wasn't God's story. And so this woman has her story repeated again and again and again, wherever the gospel is proclaimed. And that is the way of God's kingdom. She knew who Jesus was. She knew what he could do. And she wasn't going to let anything get in between her and the one who could save her daughter. And are we as determined as her? Are we willing to ignore what people say? Are we willing to ignore that voice in your head, which is a voice of Satan and his hordes that say, don't do it. You don't need this. You're fine as you are. Jesus wants you to find truth. He wants you to find him. And are you willing to push past those objections, even those ones within your mind, so that you can experience all you can be in Christ, the blessings of healing, the freedom, the hope that he can give you. We all need to be delivered. In these accounts tonight, we've seen people delivered from deafness, being mute, blind from their lack of faith. And I want to ask, what is holding you back? Jesus' disciples marveled at the things he did. And Jesus said, you will do this and greater things. And we saw his disciples do greater things. I stand here with no idea of what holds you back from being all that you can be for Jesus. But I do know he and only he can deliver you from whatever that is. He has done it for me. And I am no one special at all. I never thought I'd be a pastor. I've said that so many times. My wife prayed she'd never be a pastor's wife. We both struck out. But we are right in the middle of God's will. And there is no place I'd rather be. No place. And so my final question is, have you seen Jesus If I was to ask you who Jesus is, would you be able to say with conviction that he is your Lord and Saviour? So many of us want to say he is our Saviour. They want that foot in the door, that security and things like that. But if we say that he is our Lord, that means we've fully submitted ourselves to him. He either is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Please understand that. I made a confession of faith when I was about 17 and I know that I didn't really understand who Jesus was at that time. 
And as far as I was concerned, when I made that confession, I called him Lord and Saviour. And I think I did believe that he was who he claimed to be. But there was no real change. There was no great transformation. Sure, I stopped swearing almost instantaneously. It was quite amazing. But there was no other great change. And much later in 1994, when my life was really at rock bottom, I encountered Jesus again. And I can say my life was transformed. I would never be the same again. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's no place I would rather be than where I am right now. I'm living in God's will. And I want to ask you, have you experienced that transformational power of Christ? Because if you haven't, you do not know him. And you need to know him. And I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. You know, I, I, I'm so excited about the things that God is doing. Uh, Lena and I had two weeks holiday. During that two weeks holiday, we actually ministered to five different people. Because that's more important than a holiday, to be quite honest. And I've got to tell you, my last day of work, I led someone to Christ in this church. Isn't that incredible? What a privilege. You know, and when I say I led them to Christ, I was just there. It wasn't anything I did. That's Holy Spirit's work. He does that. But I had the honour and privilege of sitting with them and guiding them through Scripture and seeing them, understanding that they actually grasped who Jesus was, to actually go from unbelief to belief, to move from darkness to light. And it's an incredible thing to experience. If you've never been with someone and they've given their life to Christ, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. There's nothing better on this earth. And I'm going to stand in eternity with that person because I sat down and showed them scripture. And Holy Spirit quickened their being to that. And they come to understand the truth and reality of scripture. And we've got to get passionate about that. You may not think that you have the, the ability to do that, but if you know Jesus, you can do it. Think about the guys in the Bible, that fellow that was healed by Jesus who got rebuked by the leaders of the church at the time, and he was talking to them about what Jesus did, and he's like, are you crazy? We haven't seen anyone do what this man did. Do you want to be his believers and his followers as well? And of course, they kicked him out of the synagogue. But he was testifying to what Jesus has done, and that's all we are called to do. We don't need to complicate this. Bring what you have to Jesus. Give him what you have. It may not be much, but he will take it and multiply it and use it. And when he's done that, he's going to give you more. He's going to give you more talents, more abilities, and he's going to just continue to bless you. We've got guys in this church who reluctantly started telling people about Jesus, people they didn't know, and they've seen things multiply. They've seen people come to faith. They've brought people to church who've given their lives to Jesus as a result. And each and every one of us can do that. You must believe it. It's what we're called to do. And it isn't us anyway. It is Holy Spirit in you. He can do this and even greater things. Let's pray. I start where I started before, Lord. You're a good, good father. And Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for bringing me back to this church, Lord. I thank you. It was about three years ago I snuck into the back of this church. And Lord, you've brought us so far. There's so many more people serving than what we're serving then. There's so many people whose hearts have been changed towards you. And Lord, I pray for more. I pray that you'll change our hearts. I pray that you will just cause us to see our desperate need of you. We want to encounter you, Lord. 
We want to see lives change. We want to see people transformed. That's what I want to see, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'll rally us. I pray that we'll become a people who spend so much time on our knees that we just petition you continuously to change the hearts and attitude of people so we will all be one, Lord, focused on drawing closer to you, desiring to bring people into the kingdom, having a passion to disciple people, Lord, young, old, middle-aged, whoever it is, Lord. We want to see people grown in faith. We want to see people drawn to you. And Lord, as we love each other the way Scripture tells us to, People will be drawn to you anyway. Father, there's a ton of people in this room. I've got no idea what's going on in their life. You, by power of Holy Spirit, do, Lord. And I pray tonight you'll be stirring their hearts. I pray, Lord, you'll be softening them to the things of you. I pray that by the power of Holy Spirit, you'll be challenging people even now as I speak. And that, Lord, more than that, they'll respond to what you're telling them to do. And that, Lord, by your grace, by your power, by your glory... We can pray with them. We can get excited with them about what you're calling them to do. And we will see you do great things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.